Welcome to the International Trade Minute, quick-fire trade news, where time is trade. We are your go-to podcast for rapid and concise updates on trade and law, designed specifically for busy trade professionals. Sponsored by Riedel Law Firm and prepared by seasoned trade attorneys. Our twice-weekly podcast packages your essential trade updates, all in the time it takes to enjoy your coffee break. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And join the conversation with a network of like-minded professionals on LinkedIn, where time is trade, make every minute count. In today's episode, we're diving into a series of fascinating stories that highlight the ever-evolving landscape of international trade and regulation. Let's dive in. In today's first segment, we're diving into a recent ruling from the Court of International Trade that's making waves in the world of medical nutrition. A decision that might seem technical at first glance, but has far-reaching implications for companies in this sector. Let's get into it. On December 4th, the Court of International Trade delivered a landmark verdict in the case of Nutrition North America versus the U.S. government. Nutricia, a company known for its specialized dietary products for individuals with disabilities and various health conditions, has been embroiled in a legal battle since 2015. The core of the dispute? The classification of their products. Are they food or pharmaceuticals? For years, Nutricia argued that several of their products, including Periflex Infant, Periflex Junior, Neocate, and others, should be classified under a duty-free heading for therapeutic use. This would align them with pharmaceutical products. However, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection had a different view. They classified these as food preparations, subject to a 6-4% duty. The CIT, however, has now ruled in favor of the Commerce Department. Citing Chapter 30's Note 1a, The court declared that Nutricia's products, described as medical food and nutritional substances, are indeed food, not medicaments. This means they fall outside the pharmaceutical classification and are subject to the aforementioned duty. This ruling is a significant blow to Nutricia's long-standing argument that the primary purpose of its products is the treatment of medical problems. It also marks an end to a lengthy reclassification battle that included multiple rulings and protests over the years. What does this mean for the industry? Well, it sets a precedent. Companies in the medical food sector might have to rethink their classification strategies and brace for potential financial impacts. For consumers, it's a reminder of the complex interplay between health, nutrition, and international trade laws. Next, we're spotlighting a story from the legal world that ties into international sanctions and the high-stakes realm of real estate management for foreign entities. It's a case that's just reached a critical juncture in the heart of New York City. On December 5th, the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York delivered a noteworthy sentence in a case involving Robert Wise, a New York-based lawyer, and Victor Vexelberg, a Russian billionaire under U.S. sanctions. Wise, who is 83, was sentenced to one year of house arrest, followed by one year of probation for his involvement in managing properties for Vexelberg. In addition, the court imposed a significant fine of $100,000 payable in monthly installments. But what's the story behind this sentence? Wise pleaded guilty back in April to a charge of conspiring to commit international money laundering. His crime, facilitating around $3, million in payments to maintain six real properties in the U.S. owned by Vexelberg, who has been under sanctions since 2018. This case is intriguing for several reasons. Firstly, it underscores the complexities and risks involved in managing assets for individuals under international sanctions. Secondly, the sentence reflects a delicate balance in the justice system weighing the severity of the crime against factors like age and health. For the international business community, this is a stark reminder of the need for rigorous compliance with sanctions laws. 
It also highlights the potential legal pitfalls for professionals managing assets for sanctioned individuals. With the growing web of international sanctions, particularly in the current geopolitical climate, this case could be a harbinger of more legal battles to come. Up next, we're delving into a pivotal move by the Bureau of Industry and Security, BIS, that's set to reshape the landscape of export controls. Let's get started. The BIS, a key player in U.S. export regulations, has just announced significant changes aimed at streamlining licensing processes and aligning closer with U.S. allies. It's a move that promises to ease the burden on exporters and enhance international cooperation. Released in three separate rules on December 7th, these changes focus on reducing license requirements and expanding exceptions for certain exports. This includes pathogens, toxins, crime control goods, and missile technology items. One major update is the removal of license requirements for specified AG-controlled pathogens and toxins to certain Australia Group countries. This decision reflects the trust in these countries' export control systems and is expected to alleviate around 1,000 license applications annually. Additionally, crime control export licensing requirements are being lifted for Austria, Finland, Ireland, Liechtenstein, South Korea, Sweden, and Switzerland. These changes recognize these countries as close allies with strong civil liberties records. For missile technology, the BIS is allowing more countries to benefit from license exceptions for certain components used in civil manned aircraft. This aims to harmonize license exceptions for items of similar sensitivity. These updates are not just administrative tweaks, they represent a strategic shift in U.S. export control policy, reflecting a deeper trust and coordination with allies, especially in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. For businesses, this means a potentially faster and less burdensome process for exporting certain dual-use goods. It's a significant development for companies operating in sensitive technological and scientific sectors. The BIS is also calling for public feedback, particularly on the use of License Exception Strategic Trade Authorization, SDA. This openness to dialogue marks a collaborative approach to refining export control measures. This is a story we'll be watching closely, as it has broad implications for international trade and national security. Moving on, we're looking at a recent decision by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit that could have a significant impact on the textile and apparel industry. Let's dive in. The Federal Circuit has made a key ruling on the classification of textile gloves with plastic coating, a decision that clarifies the boundaries between different tariff headings in international trade. On December 6th, the Federal Circuit upheld a Court of International Trade decision favoring the Customs and Border Protection's CBP classification of certain knit gloves. These gloves, imported by Majid Glove and Safety Manufacturing, feature a polyurethane coating on the palm and fingers. Majid argued that these should be classified under plastics in heading 3,926, which is duty-free. However, CBP classified them under heading 6,116 as gloves coated with plastics, subject to a 13, 2% duty. The Court of International Trade and the Federal Circuit both disagreed with Majid's interpretation. The key point of contention was whether these gloves fell under Section Telvonath Note 1, H, which Majid claimed excluded them from heading 6,116. However, the courts found that this note applies only to fabrics in their basic form, not to finished products like gloves. The court also addressed Majid's reference to the Calais USA case, which dealt with sausage casings and the definition of completely embedded in plastics. The Federal Circuit declined to apply the Kali reasoning here, emphasizing that the current case involves different provisions and merchandise. This ruling is significant for the textile industry and importers of similar goods. It clarifies how items with both textile and plastic components should be classified, 
potentially affecting import duties and trade strategies. For businesses dealing with mixed material products, this case underscores the importance of understanding nuanced tariff classifications and staying informed about relevant legal precedents. Following that, we're discussing a significant move by the U.S. Treasury's Office of Foreign Assets Control, OFAC, in its ongoing battle against drug trafficking. Let's get started. OFAC has made a decisive strike against the Beltran Leyva Organization, a major drug trafficking group signaling a ramp-up in U.S. efforts to combat the international drug trade, particularly the trafficking of fentanyl. This week, OFAC sanctioned 15 individuals and two companies linked to the Beltran Leyva Organization. The sanctions were announced during Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen's visit to Mexico City, highlighting a collaborative effort between the U.S. and Mexico to counter fentanyl trafficking. Alongside these designations, OFAC has launched a new counter-fentanyl strike force. This multi-agency initiative aims to enhance the U.S. government's capacity to target drug traffickers through sanctions and legal measures. The new sanctions target the leadership of the Beltran Leyva Organization, their associates, and a Mexican lawyer with ties to the group. The sanctions also extend to individuals involved in smuggling drugs into the U.S., including their logistics coordinators and even a boat mechanic. Yellen emphasized that one of Treasury's top sanctions priorities is to target drug traffickers and their financial networks. Over the past year, OFAC has sanctioned over 250 entities for involvement in drug trafficking activities. The counter-fentanyl strike force represents a strategic enhancement, combining Treasury's expertise in combating illicit finance with robust law enforcement and intelligence tools. This move marks a significant escalation in the U.S. government's efforts to disrupt the financial mechanisms of drug trafficking organizations. It also underscores the importance of international cooperation in tackling such global challenges. As the war on drugs adapts to new threats like fentanyl trafficking, we can expect further developments in international trade and finance regulations. Last but not the least, we're discussing a major development in the enforcement of international export controls. Let's jump right in. The U.S. Department of Justice, DOJ, has charged Belgian businessman Hans-Maria de Guiterre with serious allegations of illegal exports to Russia and China, highlighting the intricate world of international export regulations and the lengths governments will go to enforce them. In two separate indictments, de Guiterre is accused of attempting to export over $2 million worth of military-grade technology from the U.S. to end users in China and Russia. This case throws a spotlight on the complex and often clandestine nature of international trade in sensitive technologies. The DOJ alleges that between 2016 and 2018, de Guiterre and Florida resident Eddie Johan Koopmans conspired to export FPGA circuits to Russia and swerve surveillance cameras to China. Over $1, two million was wired to acquire these items, which are controlled due to their potential military applications. To apprehend de Guiterre and Koopmans, U.S. Authorities employed undercover tactics, including using a New Jersey resident previously caught in smuggling as an illegal goods broker. The pair communicated via WhatsApp, discussing plans to export the items to Russia for use by Roscosmos, Russia's state-owned space agency, and to China for reverse engineering. In a separate indictment, de Guiteri is charged with trying to procure controlled accelerometers, valued at over $930,000, for export to China. These devices, critical in aerospace and military systems, were falsely declared as destined for Belgium, but were actually intended for China. De Guiteri now faces multiple charges, including making false statements, smuggling goods, and conspiracy to commit money laundering. The maximum penalties range from 5 to 20 years in prison per count. This case underscores the rigorous enforcement of U.S. export controls and the serious consequences of violating them.
It also highlights the lengths to which individuals might go to circumvent these controls and the sophisticated methods employed by law enforcement to counter such efforts. For businesses and individuals involved in international trade, particularly in sensitive technologies, this serves as a stark reminder of the importance of compliance with export regulations. Thank you for joining us on International Trade Minute, your rapid source of trade updates for busy trade professionals. And we hope to have you back for our next episode. Don't forget to subscribe.